Welcome to the Growth Through Grief podcast, where we interview individuals just like you dealing with their own journey from loss to growth, along with mental health experts, growth guides, all with the purpose of healing you better, improving mind, body, and spirit, and finding your new purpose from the loss and tragedy that you have experienced. Hi, I'm Tom Pacello, the ROI guy. I'm your host, growth evangelist, as well as a fellow widower. I lost my beautiful bride, Judy. Uh, of uh, 19 years we were married. I lost her about five years ago to the day. So here today, I've got an incredibly special guest that I've been looking forward to interviewing for a while since I heard about the release of her new book. This is Mary Frances O'Connor. She's the author of a book called The Grieving Brain, The Surprising Science of How We Learn from Love and from loss. And those of you who followed me know that I'm really into neuroscience. So can't wait to talk to Mary Francis. She's a researcher, associate professor at the University of Arizona, where she studies how the mind, brain, and body react to and adapt to grief. Uh, and we're here to explore her research, her new book, what happens to the brain on grief and how we can leverage that knowledge of how the brain is wired and how it works to better mentally handle our grieving process and help in healing and growth. Welcome, Mary Frances O'Connor. Oh, it's so lovely to be here, Thomas. Awesome. Tell me about what inspired you to research the grieving brain. Well, you know, writing this book was really the culmination of Gosh, I've been doing this for over 20 years now. And it was really, you know, so many books have been written about what grief feels like. And mm -hmm. I think that's really valuable. But my own work has really focused on the why and the how of grief. So why does it hurt so much? And why does it take so long to understand, to really understand that they're gone? And, and how does the brain manage to do all of that? But having said that, there's sort of a, probably a personal side to this as well. You know, my, uh, when I was 13, my mom was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer. And, you know, we thought she probably wouldn't live through the year, uh, but she actually lived another 13 years. Oh, wow. That was, which was a miracle, honestly. But there was a, you know, long period of sort of, when will the other shoe drop? <laughs> so there was a lot of grief in my family. And the thing about that was, I think it made me feel really comfortable talking with people who were grieving. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I say, I, I don't mind if you cry uncontrollably, right? <laughs> and it somehow enabled me to, to stick with this as a topic and try to understand what people were saying and how that matched onto, you know, MRI scans and blood tests and stuff. So um, that's that's been my process. Yeah, my daughters um, were 14 and 18 when Judy passed and it was a 10 year battle. So their journey, uh, especially the younger one, I think not too unfamiliar yeah. uh, than, than yours. Yeah. Um, you talked a little bit about some of the techniques that you used. Talk about that. How did you do the research to know exactly what was happening within the grieving brain? Well, I really came at it originally from a sort of stress perspective. And mm -hmm. so we know a lot about the stress systems of the body uh, and, and of the brain. And so really thought about, okay, 
how would we specifically study grief then if we know that these are some of the systems that are likely to be affected? Mm -hmm. And so I did use uh, originally some psychophysiology measures, we would call them cardiovascular functioning. Um, and then I moved on to using neuroimaging. So looking at brain um, reactions to the photo of a loved one, for example. Um, and then eventually also looked at immune uh, measures. So taking blood tests from people and looking to see what different kinds of reactions people were having. So it went beyond just looking. So you looked at the brain in real time while you almost promoted the grieving. Uh, and then, but then looked at the body response to it as well, yeah. cardiovascularly, and then longer term immune response, which with a lot of people that grieve, they wind up yeah. having heart issues long-term and yeah. immunocompromised uh, response. Yeah. So the brain piece was really where I feel like I've learned so much that um, those uh, waves of grief uh, that we were um, uh, enabling in the scanner um, really gave us a sense of the brain is really doing something here. It's not sort of all in your head. It's it's also in your brain. Yeah. Um, and so looking at how the brain was reacting when they were looking at a photo of their loved one as compared to say, just a photo of a stranger, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not just anyone you're looking at, it's specifically this person you're bonded to. And how does that, uh, how does that work? Yeah, so with that loss of attachment, and seeing that image of that lo the loved one that was lost, how did the brain respond? I mean, what what lit up right on the scans, and what didn't light up, and what what was surprising about that, if anything? I think some of what we came to understand, of course, is that grief is very complex. So there are many aspects of the brain, many mental functions mm -hmm. that are being you know called upon when we have a wave of grief. And so some of the ones that won't be surprising to anyone um, is that our memories are activated, of course, and also um, our, our capacity to pay attention. But what's so interesting about the paying attention is that there's sort of a, a quality um, that we see with, with people who are grieving. People mm -hmm. will say, this hurts. <laughs> and I think, you know, we think of that metaphorically, but it seems to me from what we see in brain imaging scans is that might not just be a metaphor. So if you think about physical pain, there's the sensation of a physical pain, right? Mm -hmm. um, and the sensation part we have mapped out. But we, even with physical pain, we have what you might think of as the sort of suffering that comes along with it, that alarm of sort of, oh, ah, this really hurts. I should pay attention to this. I should stop yeah. doing what I'm doing or however, uh, uh, however the situation unfolds. Well, that attention aspect of, um, of reacting in the brain is also present when people are grieving. Hmm. And so I think it's not unexpected maybe that people describe grief as painful. Yeah, and then there's triggers which I know occur uncontrollable outbursts of crying, maybe um, freezing in a moment, 
falling to the floor in a fetal position. Uh, many of us who have been through grief experience that. For me, sometimes it's, it's music, a song will trigger, yes. uh, even years and years later. Um, yeah. Talk about, did you study anything with regard to that? And, and where do these, you know, how does the trigger occur? And then maybe in understanding the brain, how do we perhaps gain better control over that? Mm. So in the studies that we were doing, we were very specifically using a trigger of photographs, which is, of course, a trigger for many people. Um, um, and that was the only trigger that we were using. But other research has definitely demonstrated that, you know, all sorts of things cause uh, our awareness to uh, creep up on us, right? So what's so interesting about that, I'll give you one example. Many people experience more emotion. They feel like they're experiencing more grief around the anniversary mm -hmm. of, a, of a loss. Um, can also be the anniversary of your loved one's birthday or Christmas. There's lots of uh, things that remind us of their absence. And mm -hmm. I think this is so important. So in the brain, we have all these expectations of how the world is supposed to be working. Mm -hmm. And when we're walking around in the world, our brain is actually noticing that something is absent, mm -hmm. right? I think this can be a very isolating people uh, feeling for people because other people aren't noticing that this person is absent, but we are very painfully aware of it. So what causes us to become aware of that absence? I think these can be very subtle things. So I'll give you an example. Um, when, so my birthday is in October, just passed recently. And I often have these feelings in October and I realize that the sun, you know, is at a particular angle in mm -hmm. October. Mm -hmm. And it's not that I'm consciously thinking about my birthday, but simply the sun being at that angle, somehow it works on my subconscious, right? So I think many of the triggers that we experience are not something very obvious, but are the way that our brain has uh, a network of things associated with our loved one. And they end up bringing the person to mind or even just bringing the emotions to mind um, in a way that seems unexplainable. Yeah. Now, the emotions that are brought up a lot of times are sad emotions, the emotions of loss. Is there a way to reprogram that reaction so that instead it could bring joy of that, that you even had that experience, which is so precious uh, that we had a loved one of that magnitude in our life? I mean, that's what you'd love to have it replaced with, not a feeling of tears or anger or, or cowering. Um, you want it to not have that raw amygdala kind of emotional reaction, you'd love it to be a little bit more caring and, and, uh, and bright instead of dark. I think that, you know, I, I describe grief as the natural response to loss. And mm -hmm. I think we have very little control over what our instantaneous reaction is. Sometimes it just is anger and other times it just is yearning. 
what we start to develop is more skill at what to do with those emotions, right? So if I'm feeling that loneliness associated with grief, over time, I may learn, ah, this is not a time that I should go for a walk by myself, which might be helpful in other instances, mm -hmm. but this is a time when I need to reach out and phone my sister, for yeah. example. Right. Yeah. And so in calling my sister, then I often have many of those positive feelings. I know she's there for me. I know she really understands what I'm experiencing. And so I feel closeness with her. Mm -hmm. And so the emotions start to be multifaceted, right? Because of how I responded to what was happening. Now, for most of us, the intensity and the frequency of these waves of grief tends to be reduced over time. And that is a natural process as our brain comes to understand, ah, this has really happened. This is really mm -hmm. true. And also to understand, I'm going to get through this moment. Mm -hmm. There's a familiarity there. And so grief doesn't go away, but it does transform in the way that we understand what it is, what it means for us. And then once we experience it, develop some skills around what do we do next? How do we express that? Now, there's two types of stressors that you research. One is loss stressors and the other are restoration stressors. Talk about what are the definitions of those and and um, how does that matter in our experience of grief? Well, we often think about the lost stressors when we're talking about grief. This is many of those emotions that you already mentioned. Um, it's the, you know, the yearning, but also all the difficulty concentrating, all those things that are associated with having experienced that death. And while that is true, and many people um, have described that in the past, um, we also recognize that there's a different kind of stressor, which is given this is true, that my loved mm -hmm. one has died, how am I going to restore a meaningful life? What kinds of activities can I do now that still feel like they're, they're meaningful? Because initially there can be a, a real sense that nothing is important. So those restoration stressors are everything from having to figure out what I'm doing now in my life and what I need to do in the future. That can be everything from, you know, ah, uh, you know, my wife always paid the bills and now I suddenly have to figure out, you know, how to manage all of that. Everything from that to we were going to retire together and we had all these plans and now I have to figure out what's that even going to look like, right? So all of these sort of present and future oriented stresses and then how to do that in a way that still honors the memory of the person who's not there and feels meaningful to you. What is it that I'm doing now that actually feels meaningful? Mary Francis, I love that because I think a lot of people think of the law stressors when they yes. look at a grieving person and yes. they don't realize how much of the present and future are impacted, yes. not just the past, that it yes. upset the entire apple cart of our lives. Yes. And um, I love that you researched the restoration stressors in, yeah. in what you did. Now, yeah. a lot of uh, widowers that I talk to 
they get very frustrated with their progress on the restoration mm-hmm. side. And that adds even more to the stress because they're like, well, I know I should be making progress. I know my beautiful bride would have loved for me to not be sad and not acting this way and to go on with life in a certain way. But I'm not doing that. And it, be, it creates this loop. And a lot of widowers describe being stuck. I think the proper word would be more stalled in it because I see many of them come out of it eventually. But for those stuck in grief, you know, what's going on in their brains and how do we maybe get out of that stuckness? Yeah. Well, you know, I think it's useful and this won't surprise you given all the things I've said so far, but I think of grieving as a form of learning. You really have to Mm -hmm. learn what does this mean now? What does this feel like? What do I do when I feel these things? And I think thinking about it that way can be helpful. You can't really rush learning, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. it just takes time. You think of, you know, if you ever learned calculus, you did a lot of arithmetic and multiplication long before you got to calculus, right? Mm-hmm. So I think there's a certain amount of just patience we have to have and kindness and toward, grace ourselves. toward ourselves. Exactly. Yeah. Grace. Because our brain is working as hard as it can. It is making new neural connections. Mm-hmm. It is trying its best. But I will say that for people who feel stalled, there's probably um, one way to think about that that could be helpful because it's helpful in learning. Mm-hmm. And that is sometimes when we've been grieving for a while, there's something we're avoiding. Mm-hmm. Now, we might be avoiding a particular person. If we might be re- avoiding a situation. We might be avoiding some feelings that mm-hmm. just seem too painful. Yeah. And often when we're stalled, I think it's because we're stuck there. We're stuck in avoiding, which then prevents us from actually learning new things. Because avoiding means we can't learn. We're not having experiences that our brain can incorporate. So I'll give you a simple example. Um, uh, Let's say your wife has died and the two of you used to go out to dinner with friends, right? Mm -hmm. This was a common thing, let's say, and there were, you know, some uh, Friday nights or or something like that. Mm -hmm. And and since then, perhaps you've thought, I just, there's no way. I can't do this, right? It just reminds me of her too much and they're going to feel awkward. I'm going to feel awkward. But with a little bit of support, telling your friends, look, I'm going to try this. Mm -hmm. I may bolt after 15 minutes, but I'm going to try this. What can happen is that the first time you go out to dinner, it may not go very well. Mm-hmm. Right. So you probably are going to think about her a lot and you probably are going to feel really sad and there will be awkward moments. But if you do it again, it still may have sadness and, and yearning associated with it. But you may also realize, you know, I never had the lobster bisque before and that was actually pretty tasty. You know, I, mm-hmm. I've never tried that. And, or, you know, oh, this friend mentioned a book they're reading. I've never heard of that. Maybe I'll check that out. And so you get this slow upward spiral where mm-hmm. you're going to have grief, but you're also going to have all these other emotions and experiences. And if we just avoid the situation, 
we're never going to have those present moment experiences where you feel loved, right? Where you yeah. feel proud of yourself for having done it. And so that's what I would say for people who are stalled. Try to figure out what you're avoiding, which is hard to do because you're probably <laughs> avoiding it for a reason. And then find someone to help support you, find some courage and give it a try, but give it a try more than once. I love that. And what you're describing is definitely implementing a growth mindset. It's being reflective about yes. maybe the things that you're not handling and dealing with. It's going out and doing them and, and knowing that it's going to take a long time and you'll probably have some stumbles. And then it's embracing those stumbles and mistakes, yeah. but still yeah. moving forward and upward. That's um, right. And not being in that shell, because I find that a lot of folks who are stuck in their progress from their definition of stuck tend to be in, in a, a loop and they're not yeah. in that upward growth trajectory. Yeah. So on the site, I've got a framework for growth mindset, what G-R-O-W-T and H can mean in that and um, look that up yeah. and I'll put it in the notes here so you can take a look at it. But also there's plenty of growth mindset books, growth mindset podcasts, that learning process applied to grief, I think is one of the big secrets that's helped me, Mary Frances. Yes. So definitely great that the research showed that that is a way to kind of transcend. Yes, I think that's the word. So my father, of course, was a widow, right? After my yeah. mom passed away. And, you know, what's interesting is over time, he started sort of adopting the other widowers in my little hometown and he would have dinner, right? And bring them over. And I think this is actually one way that he coped by recognizing, oh, wait, other people are having this experience. Yeah and maybe aren't even adapting as well as I am. And, you know, cooking is something I can do. And so, you know, my dad was not a great cook. I'm not afraid to say, but there was always plenty of food, right? Yeah. And so doing that where you reach out, I think he learned, oh, this is what he's doing to cope. And this is what he's doing to cope. And, and that's interesting. I hadn't thought of that. Um, and then just the, the sort of universal aspect. It's not just that I'm having grief. Yeah. It's that human beings have grief. And in that moment of feeling so isolated, sometimes that can give a moment of connection. Ah, you are going through your own version of this and I recognize it. Yeah, to know that our simulation and our feelings that are going on in our brain, right, of what reality is, that there are other realities that are just like ours because it can be very isolating and very lonely. That's right. Now, you mentioned, and we talked about it a little bit early on in your research, you also looked at not just the mind and the impact on the brain, but the impact on the body and that there is that mind-body connection. If we don't maybe get the grief healing process right, there, there's short-term impacts and long-term impacts on the body. Talk about that a little bit, what the research showed, Mary Frances. Well, you know, I would even back up just a tiny bit and say, it isn't even if the grief processing isn't going right. I would just say grieving is really stressful, you know, even if you do everything perfectly, perfectly which I don't yeah. think is a thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, but just simply losing a person to whom you are bonded, that in and of itself, research shows just the separation of bonded individuals leads to increases in cortisol, that stress hormone, yeah. 
right? And so this is part of why you can't sleep. It's why you have no appetite. It's mm -hmm. nothing you're doing wrong. It's simply the reaction to losing a bonded loved one, right? Yeah. But as with all things in grieving, we can learn a little bit more about how to adapt to that. So for example, doing things that help us to relax because think of the grief as being a stressor, right? Mm -hmm. It actually often increases people's blood pressure for a while. Mm -hmm. And so thinking about things that you can do that for you are physically relaxing. Some people that's going to be going for a walk. Some people that's going to be taking a hot bath. Other people learn something called progressive muscle relaxation, mm -hmm. which is a way of actively uh, relaxing individual muscles and Research has shown that can be helpful. So thinking about grief isn't just happening to my mind, it's happening to my body, can help us to come up with new strategies. And the last thing I'll say about that is because before the death of a loved one, there's often a period, not always, but often a period of caregiving where <laughs> all the attention has rightly been on the person who was dying. But what this often means is people have been neglecting their own health when they're doing the caregiving, right? So how long has it been since you went for your annual exam? When did you get your teeth cleaned last? You know, have you had your colonoscopy? So after the death of a loved one, even though we don't feel like it, this can be something that you can ask for support around, right? Yeah. I know I should go to the dentist. I have no interest in doing this. Will you drive me, you know? Or will you remind me in a week that I said I would make my doctor's appointment, right? So yeah. these are things we can reach out for and get help in helping our own physical body. Yeah, so time to start instituting that self-care. You've been giving so much in the caregiving and um and post grief probably making sure everyone else in the house has been is good and mary francis a lot of times men are very stoic through the process i know for me i wanted to put on that strong face for everyone that strong mask that we put on uh That's to right. let everyone know okay it's going to be all right and you could rely on me i'm a rock um yeah. i think we we tend to then not give that self-care right and That's it is right. an avoidance mechanism Yes, it is. Yeah. And you know, what's ironic, there's research that shows when particularly men are trying to be the rock, there's this ironic thing that happens, which is the very people you're trying to support, because they don't see your expression of grief, they either assume that it's not affecting you, which is of course not at all the case, or they assume they also shouldn't share their grief with you. And so it ends up sort of pushing you further and further apart. So if there are ways that you can bear to say, even just, boy, I'm feeling a lot today. I don't really want to break down right now, but I want you to know that there's a lot going on inside. Yeah. Right? Even just saying don't that. Don't be afraid to break down. Um, or don't be afraid share. to break. Yeah, because That's I found exactly. that in sharing my vulnerability, how much other people understood that I cared. But Mary Frances, this is a big mistake I made with my girls. They did yeah. not see me caring. They saw me go off to work like yeah. nothing ever happened and being yeah. very stoic for them. It was purposeful, yeah. but yeah. 
it wasn't what they needed. They needed to see that I really cared and that that loss was there. And honestly, until I started doing some of the work with Growth Through Grief and the podcast and sharing openly how much it impacted me, I don't think they got it. So No, absolutely. I think we have to remember, especially when there's kids around in our world, that we're also the role model for you can feel things and it Mm -hmm. won't hurt you, right? Like you're going to have waves of grief and they're going to recede. And seeing someone else do that, seeing someone else break down in tears and then, you know, 10 minutes later, 20 minutes later, you're telling a funny story about, Mm -hmm. you remember when mom did this, learning that our strong emotions, they sort of come in waves and they recede, Mm -hmm. teaches people, oh, wait, that's probably true for me. It's okay to go into my feelings because I will come out the other side. Yeah. And I found that with men, if you're sharing openly and you are the vulnerable one, it's amazing how then other men will share back with you. So spot on. What was the most surprising thing, Mary Frances, in the research? I think the most surprising thing, which has really helped me to understand grieving because of the research that we've that I've done um, is understanding that your brain can pay attention to two streams of information at the same time. And this helps to explain some of the behaviors that we do that seem so weird, right? Mm -hmm. So on the one hand, you have a memory, you know the reality, you're either at the bedside or you got the phone call or you were at the funeral. So you know that this person has died and there's memory systems, right? In Mm -hmm. your brain that are holding that reality. But what's interesting is when we bond with a loved one, when you fall in love with your partner, you fall in love with your baby, that changes our neurobiology. And those changes of neurobiology include this deep seated belief, which is I will always be there for you and you will always be there for me. Now, what that means is someone doesn't have to be in your presence for you to know that they are out there, right? Mm-hmm. And that you are going to work to come back together again, right? How could you go to work every day otherwise if you didn't have this deep belief? Well, the problem is these can't both be true. It can't both be true that the person is out there somewhere and also that they have died. But your brain doesn't, doesn't know how to put these together for a long time. And this is why we do things like picking up the phone, right? Picking up the phone to call them and tell them something's happened and then remembering, they've died, I can't do that, right? Mm -hmm. Or just even the feeling, I know this sounds crazy, but I just feel like they're gonna walk through the door again, right? This is natural. There's nothing wrong with you. You're not crazy. Your brain is just trying to figure out how to make these two different really important pieces of information fit together. Yeah. What's the one piece of advice you'd like to leave our widowers with what I like to call our growth warriors with today, Mary Frances? Ah, growth warriors is such a good term because it does take so much courage. (laughs) Seriously. Um, Yeah, right. I think the thing I would leave people with is you're doing a good job. You're doing better than you think in an impossible situation. And so if you can believe that, it helps you to feel like all the efforts you're making, because I know you are making effort, all of that effort, it is working. 
it takes a long time, but it is working. Thank you so much, Mary Frances. She's the author of The Grieving Brain, The Surprising Science of How We Learn from Love and Loss, available on Amazon and local bookstores. Yes. Yeah. So uh, I highly encourage everyone. I've got the link uh, to the book in our resources. Uh, I'll include that link in the notes so you'll get to see those. And Mary Frances, it's been an absolute pleasure. I love the research, please keep keep doing that. I think there's still a lot more to learn. I think you would admit to that as well, oh, right? Yes, like definitely. just scratching the surface. And uh, it's so amazing, modern science that lets us do the imaging and do some of the mapping and, and uh, responses and everything else. So I'll be looking for more great work from you and uh, look forward to maybe having you back on the show again soon. I'd love that, Thomas. And thank you for bringing this conversation to people. It's such an important conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you all for listening into our Growth Through Grief podcast. If you like what you heard, hit like. Please subscribe so you can stay up to date on the latest episodes. And until next time, my growth warriors, keep growing. Keep growing.